Hey everybody, it's Benji and Chris here. We got episode number five of the Generation Fit Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions and achieving your goals this year. Yeah, for all you guys who are New Year's resolutioners, this would be a great listen. So instead of setting goals and breaking them down and not getting them, this year we're going to help you get you to your goals. Yeah, this episode is for anyone who feels like they've had so many goals over the course of their entire life, but they cannot accomplish it whatsoever. It's for people who wait until New Year's to set a goal, and then they only make it a week as opposed to the entire year of trying to achieve said goal. It's a big problem people have. They struggle with it. They're frustrated at themselves. But today we're going to break down a little bit about the science as to why that happens and what you could do to fix it, and then some more practical tips that you can start implementing in your life today to make sure you start achieving your goals and pursuing them. Before we start this episode, I just want to mention our free resources, our newsletter, and lots of other free content that we have available at www.thegenerationfit.com. So definitely go check out the site. We've got tons of content hours that you can consume, and I think it'll be very valuable for you guys. All right, so let's get right into it and go into our thoughts on New Year's resolutions. I'm pretty passionate about this because, <laughs> well, let's get into it. Why, why do you like or dislike New Year's resolutions? What are your thoughts on it? Do you use them? So uh, I disagree with the New Year's resolutions itself, but what I do like about it is goal setting. So it's it's not that I don't like New Year's resolutions as a whole. I, I just don't like how we wait till January 1st to really set your plans into action. And most people don't actually have the plan and then the processes to make that plan happen, uh, which is a big problem in this entire uh, New Year's resolutioners problem. So what I do like is goal setting. And in that goal setting that you set also the processes for that to make the goal happen. So I'm not necessarily disagreeing or hating on it. It's the It's the emphasis on why it's so important on just doing it on January 1st, whereas you should be doing it as soon as possible right away if it's on the forefront of what you really want. Yeah, I personally don't like New Year's resolutions or at least how they're utilized. I think that it's great that people set longer term goals for themselves sort of at the beginning of the year and they say these are things that I want to achieve. That's good it just in terms of being self-aware and recognizing what you want. But I can't stand how people use New Year's resolutions and they ask me what mine are because if you truly wanted to do something, if you truly cared about what your goals were and achieving it, if it was December 30th, you wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to wait until um, January 1st. If you really want to achieve something, you're going to start it on that day because you actually want it. If you care about your health or your physical fitness and something has prompted you and inspired you in your brain to say, hey, I want to start lifting now or I want to be healthy for myself and my family now. Why are you waiting for two days? Right. Just the same as if you have these goals in September. Why would you wait until January 1st to start your goals? The thing is, people that wait for a particular date to start their goals, the key word is they're waiting to start their uh, trying to achieve their goals. So how much do they really want it? Most of these people, they start trying to accomplish them on that January 1st date. I'll go into the gym and I'll see 10 million people there. And then a week later, it's just the normal crowd that's been there for the last 10 years. So these New Year's resolutions, for it's probably like that 95% of dieters fail at dieting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very similar. Probably around 95% of people who have New Year's resolutions don't accomplish their New Year's resolutions. There's an, almost an exact science to that and then more practical tips that we're going to get into as to why that is and what you can do about it. 
Yeah, and a, a great example of mine was I think around 2018, I, I set a goal to start benching 225 for just five reps. And just in context for the people that don't know me, uh, I have a torn labrum and rotator cuff muscle on my right side. That's fun. With, this, with a subluxation. And then on the left side, I have a subluxation and a hillsax lesion. Basically saying is my shoulders are massively screwed up from baseball. And I, that is not an excuse because I've achieved that goal. But it's more of I wanted to get better with that. I've reluctantly did not research and put in the effort and the work to further my bench. But instead, I doubled down on getting stronger on my squats, my deadlifts, and my leg muscles. Hence why for a good period of time, my lower half was dominant to my upper half. And I actually had to double down on my upper body to make sure my bench went up. And I didn't start that on New Year's resolutions. I started that in the middle of the year, thought to myself, I, I'm i a trainer. I'm an online coach. I want to teach people how to be stronger, healthier. And you know, if people want a good bench, I want to teach them how to have a good bench. So I immediately took the action to understand the bench, what needs to be, you know, how much work you have to do, what you have to stabilize, how to become better at the bench because it is a skill. And then next thing you know, about three months later, my my bench went up from, I think it was a 205 for five reps. Now, currently sitting, I am now at 225 for four sets of 10 pretty yeah. easily. You, you didn't just say, I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to bench a million pounds. And then that was it. You just expected to do it because you showed up to the gym. You researched the specifics. You set in specific processes as to how you were going to do that. On my end, I've never really set a new year's resolution what's funny is what i was talking about before if you wanted to do something on december 30th you would do it and when i started working out i think it was december 28th and maybe that was three years ago at this point and i just really wanted to do that that was my goal in the moment i was temporarily very motivated so i started to act on it but that temporary motivation of just saying i wanted to achieve a better body didn't last long enough throughout that time i needed to start setting more specific goals and being more specific about what I was going to do every single day in order to achieve that goal. Um, maybe we could start going into what mistakes our clients make, which we kind of touched on that as it related to ourselves a little bit more. But what we see a lot is that our clients first set unrealistic, broad goals for themselves. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't have a big, aggressive finish line goal. But when people for their first year of training say they want to have Arnold Schwarzenegger's chest, uh, and I got hate on the internet for saying Schwarzenegger wrong. Is it Nager or Neger? Who cares, guys? Who cares? I You know who I'm talking about. It's the guy with the like quadruple Ds on stage. Um, but yes, so set a more specific defined goal instead as an antidote to that. But a lot of people also have no specified time frame. They just say, hey, I want Arnold's chest. Okay, do you want that within a year of the training you're doing with me? Or do you want to do that over 15 years and like blast steroids in order to do that? <laughs> you have to be very specific about when you actually want to achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. And then the last mistake, and I touched on this before as it related to me, is that people rely solely on motivation and that only carries them so far before they quit after a week of trying their New Year's resolution. That's why no one else is in the gym after the first few weeks. Mm -hmm. So all the points that Benji touched on are, are great examples of what people at the gym do, especially since I still currently work part-time in the gym. And... It starts January 1st is the big haul. Then it gets to like the first two weeks and you start to see a little bit of drop off because you see some people who are like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. Yep. Or they just lost motivation just like that. And then about February to early March, you go back to about 
75 to 95 percent of people are gone it's back to the yeah. normal group of people in which we do not want you to be part of that group yeah exactly gyms actually this is what they make money off of this is most of their business models it's that they're not going to make money on the people that are actually in the gym 24 7 they're actually making money off of the people that buy memberships or buy packages and then they just drop off and keep paying them but they're not showing up because they say oh well right after Christmas, I'm going to start or right after Easter and I'm going to stop drinking or right after the 4th of July, I'm going to start doing this. And then they get back in the gym because they have that positive feedback loop of, oh, I did something bad. So now I need to compensate by working out. And then that's just an endless loop of quitting and starting over, quitting and starting over. That's not how we want you guys to do this. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things that we go through is setting a valuable goal. And the reason why that's important is because if it's not valuable. You're not going to want it, one, and two, you're going to be demotivated to do it. Now, if you do nothing, it's super easy. So then why do anything at all? And the reason why you do anything, the whole point of all this is, in this case, philosophical, but it's suffering. And our my great mentor and author, uh, Jordan B. Peterson, always talks about uh, why men have purpose and why humans overall have uh, or have find meaning is in responsibility. And in this case is when you have a goal to set and to strive for that you have responsibilities and suffering to get you there. And then once you achieve that goal, that something is worthwhile to you and is fulfilling to you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in a more practical sense, why do you want that great body? Why do you want to be able to bench press three plates for five? Why do you want to be able to do all these things? And if it's just the more superficial sense, then you're not going to be, that's not going to be meaningful to you. The, going to the gym, eating a healthier diet so that you can be healthier for yourself and your family, be on this earth longer and be able to be a better version of you. What does that matter if there isn't, if you don't have a purpose in your life, if you don't have a meaning? The whole point of setting goals and achieving them is because this is what you do in life. You, you set goals, you achieve, you feel good about those things, you help other people along the way, you inspire people. But guess what? It, 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 that's a very hard thing to do. That's very difficult to take that responsibility and to take even that first step and then all the uh, subsequent steps in order to achieve said goal. It's much easier to just sit on your ass and do nothing or do nothing noteworthy because of how easy it is. But is that meaningful to you? Are you going to get satisfaction as a human being when you're on your deathbed and those like 20 pictures flash before your eyes of what you did in your life and how you feel about what you did? How are you going to feel if you didn't do anything that was noteworthy, if you didn't do anything in terms of trying to accomplish larger, specific goals? There's, there's no way you can. There, so the idea of not setting a goals is incompatible with the idea that there is a meaning in life. And I think that's why many people don't set these big goals and try to achieve them. And they kind of just plug themselves into the matrix is because modern science and whatnot kind of tells people subconsciously that their life isn't compatible with the idea that there actually is meaning. And then that leads to people being more nihilistic and apathetic towards actually living a healthier, better lifestyle and improving themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the greatest, I love giving examples of uh, the stuff that we go through. And uh, one of the biggest examples for me here is uh, baseball. Uh, growing up, uh, my father was very strict about what I wanted to do and what I needed to be done to be a better ball player. So my goal when I was younger was to go to college and play baseball at a D1 level. And to do that took a lot of sacrifice. So 
they, they, that's a big goal, especially for a family that has never had any children that was super athletic or had any athletic endeavor with no resources, uh, money, like equipment, uh, coaching, anything related to the sport that's of usual. Yeah. So imagine starting from 10 years old that specializing in, in this endeavor meant that I skipped everything from birthday parties from, in this case, like bat mitzvahs at the time and bar mitzvahs, sweet 16s. I never got to go to many bar mitzvahs. I think I went to one in my life. It was awesome though. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it, it was more of the, so, it was more of the social context. And at the time I didn't understand why those sacrifices meant anything besides the fact that I, it was taking away from time from practice. But uh, as I got older, you realize that all the sacrifices that you made, so all the things I couldn't eat, all the all the times I couldn't spend with my friends, uh, all the sleepovers I couldn't make, uh, these are all like huge, huge components of a childhood that was lost. But I'm using the word lost here just because at the time that's what I felt and it didn't yeah. have meaning. But now I understand the meaning behind it was that if I wanted something, that these sacrifices had to be met. And yes... After I after I got through high school, yes, I, I did do very well for myself. I actually played at D two level, and it was because I just wanted to play baseball in college. Not that I didn't want to go D one, and at this in this case, all that time spent was understanding all that sacrifice was meant for something, and it was worthwhile because I was a great ball player in the state of New Jersey. I did do good for myself, and now it's carried over to what you're doing now and in helping and inspiring other people as well. Yeah, and now being a trainer, it's understanding that. I'm building these pathways for people. I'm helping them understand that these sacrifices going into lifting, nutrition, lifestyle, all tying together to help them achieve achieve their goals of being a better person, being a healthier, a fitter person. It all ties in together. So I'm, I'm glad I went through those meaningful sacrifices that now I can be a better coach for you guys. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, you touched on it a little bit. It's almost a George Bailey example from It's a Wonderful Life because every little thing you do in your life triggers a response from other people and that keeps snowballing. So you initially doing that probably made a huge difference in your family's life in terms of where you started to where you ended up. And then now you're able to take the lessons you've learned from that and pass it on to other people, whether that's friends, family, colleagues, and the people you're actually training. And then what's going to happen is they're going to notice how you live and they're going to see that as a model for how they want to change their lives. And then they're going to start implementing that and passing it on to other people. And when you could see how other people almost work their way through, use the theme of suffering through life, like attaching yourself to a goal is going to be the meaning or like the ship that gets you through the storm. And that's where you're going to find the meaning in life, especially when you're able to give back to other people and help them have it maybe even a little easier. That's going to trigger so many more responses like that. All right. So let's start moving into some more practical tips and just get into it right away in terms of how you should be moving towards your goals and orienting yourself in that way. So obviously you need a goal. We've established that it should be a valuable goal. Some people just arbitrarily have a goal for more superficial reasons or because that's what society deems to be a good goal. But you actually have to figure out what is what your values are, what is important to you. Now, when you set this goal for yourself, you don't want it to be so distant from yourself that it actually crushes you because you almost feel like you're never able to achieve it. So something you can do is to break your goals into segments or different parts. And that way you can move towards that goal with a much better 
chance of success because now you're not necessarily trying to achieve on the week to week or the month to month that macro goal that you're trying to achieve in six years from now. You're trying to achieve a goal that's much closer to where you are now. So it seems much more rewarding as you make progress towards that goal. So you're actually going to be able to set up almost these micro processes and habits that allow you to achieve these smaller goals, but those won't seem as relevant if you're just applying that to your much larger goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The biggest example of this in the fitness industry is somebody coming up to us and saying, I want to lose 50 pounds in two months. And we look at them like they're absolutely crazy and try to hold it together. And then the frustrating part is we have to tell them, Hey, that's not practical. Right? So we do, we have understanding now that your goal is to lose 50 pounds. Now the time frame is unreasonable because if you if you lost that much weight that fast, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's not. Yeah, it's happened. Even it's crazier healthy. things, but you're gonna gain it back. Yeah, it's just the you're gonna most likely gain it back, and it's also unhealthy to drop weight that fast. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's one of the hardest things to get over. But now that you understand that there's a logical time frame for this, that you can now take a step back and actually plan out that actual loss of 50 pounds. And then once you figure out, okay. Well, the most practical rate is to lose about one one pound of body fat per week or about 1% of body fat at the higher end, but just depending on how much larger you are. And then once you find that out, you're like, okay, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to lose about 50 pounds in about 50 weeks. And there you go. There, it's a, That's a lot more practical than coming up to somebody and saying, I want to lose 50 pounds in two months. And that's just being realistic. And then now you can understand how to set it up from a 50-week standpoint, how to lose that weight versus you trying to crash diet and lose 50 pounds in two months. Exactly. And I mean, Chris, so he used the opposite example of making your goal a little easier, but it doesn't mean that you should, shouldn't embrace your failures. Uh, some interesting research has actually come out that shows that frustration at your failures, as long as it's not too many failures, actually prompts the brain to become more plastic. So it's kind of that idea of neuroplasticity, the neural connections in your brain in terms of starting to create a habit and learn new things. You become more efficient at learning new things when you embrace failure because of the frustration that you have. And then that kind of subconsciously tells your brain, I don't want to mess up again. I don't want to have this feeling. And there's this really interesting study that came out. It's called the 85% rule for optimal learning. And it was written by Jonathan Cohen. And he said, if you want to, you want to get things right 85% of the time when it comes to orienting yourself towards a goal and trying to pursue it, but you want to actually fail 15% of the time. So that's a perfect balance between embracing from your failures and learning from it, but also not setting your goals too high in the immediate to intermediate term so that you just fail and give up altogether. Yeah. Uh, I love this part because this is a great example of uh, if you ever play video games, which I grew up to and I still love to do on my free time, is if you beat a game super easily and you win a hundred percent of the time that it's yes, it feels good, but it's not fun or it's not as fulfilling. But when you play a game where you're winning only a certain amount of time and that there is a little bit of pressure for you to lose, that's what makes it more fulfilling to play. And it's a lot more fun because you actually have to put in the effort to do that versus just beating every single boss all the way up to the finish line. And then, that's it. Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting, I just realized it's same, the same exact concept on the opposite end where you're losing all the time. You don't want that either. It reminds me of that rat study where the larger rat would fight like a smaller rat. And uh -huh. if that smaller rat lost like 100% of the time, it wasn't going to try and fight and play again. But if it lost 
maybe 80% of the time, 70% of the time, it would still try and play the entire time because it seemed more fair and it was more desirable and rewarding to do so. Okay, so let's go a little bit more into the history of this psychological literature a little bit and where this all started. So obviously humans have been setting and achieving goals since the beginning of time. Uh, I think that would be quite obvious, but the study started probably somewhere around the 1930s, I believe, and that's just because that's when they started to examine the brain that way. That's when um, neuroscience started to really become a thing. Same thing with the larger study of human psychology. So there are certain methods that have come along, lots of different, everything's about acronyms in this case. So there's so many different acronyms, but some of the more popular ones have been the ABC method, which shows that the goal should be achievable, believable, and the person should be committed to the goal that they are trying to achieve. And then Later on, I, I think this one was a bit later. It was called the SMART method. This one's more common. You guys have probably heard it. It stands for having a specific goal, a measurable goal, an attainable goal, a realistic goal, and a time-bound goal, meaning that, like we alluded to before, you shouldn't have no specific time frame for your goal. You should actually have a specified time frame. And then these acronyms have been modified even more. SMART became smarter. I don't remember exactly what the E and the R stands for, but... Everything is very redundant and repetitive. You even have the top CEOs of Fortune 500 companies or the top athletes in their respective sport or domain, and they will say very similar things, that your goal has to be specific, it has to be grand, it has to be inspirational, aggressive, um, time-bound. That's very similar to the acronyms as well. And the reason being is for a good reason, and it's that there's only really three to four true components in terms of setting and then pursuing your goals it could just be broken down into more practical tips all right an example of the smart method in use for fitness so we're gonna break it down one by one so specific so in this case let's say i want to squat 225 pounds for one rep okay so measurable how do we measure that well simple i'm able to squat right now and see how much i am able to squat for one rep and, and then in this and case, you're actually writing it down as well. Yeah, yeah, you're writing it down. So like, let's say, let's just say for this example, I am squatting 185 pounds currently for two reps, and I want to at least do 225 for one, right? So it's measurable. Now I'm starting at 185, and I want to get to 225. Okay, attainable. Is this attainable? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's not a 405 pound squat. Yeah, this isn't to the point where in lifting that there is a curve, a law of diminishing returns. Um, usually it's towards like the 500, 400, 500 pound realm. So it is definitely achievable, but also how much time are you willing to spend at that point? In this case, 185, 225 pounds is not that far off and it is definitely achievable and attainable. Realistic. It is completely realistic to do this. So it also goes back to the attainable part as well. And then time bound. So in this time frame, to jump about 40 pounds in a one rep max, uh, the time frame would be on average about two months, two to three months. So two months on the quicker side and three months on the further side. But let's just say three months in this case. All right, so following that SMART method, now you understand that I'm gonna get from 185 pound squat to 225 pound squat in a matter of three months. That is my goal and that is my focus using the SMART method. Exactly, so these are just examples of using each letter in the acronym. Now you don't necessarily need to use a SMART method as your main tool. We're actually gonna go through a series of many different tools that you can use, but the SMART method just kind of outlines a lot of the repetitive themes and concepts that we're actually about to discuss right now.
Okay, so before you start instilling good habits in your life, you actually have to become aware of your bad habits. And it was Carl Jung who actually said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it'll direct your life and you will call it fate. That's pretty scary. That's pretty scary to think about and dwell on. So maybe dwell on it a little bit because then you'll start to visualize something bad happening if you don't achieve your goals. But it's very true because I've noticed even in my life still to a certain degree and for most of us, we might be spending two, three, four hours doing tasks that don't add any value to our lives whatsoever. So that could be scrolling through YouTube shorts, which is something I do way too much, or playing video games in an excess amount. Maybe Chris does that too much, <laughs> Call of Duty. But you guys get the point is that lots of these social media apps and different games and whatnot are designed so that it takes time away from the other things we're doing and so that we just become addicted to that one thing that those habits are atomic in the sense of a how negative they affect your life. So all of those little habits actually add up to the point where you might get 10% done during a day of what you were trying to accomplish. Um, so a good little exercise you can do is writing a list of all your daily habits and putting a positive, negative, and neutral sign on whatever habit correlates to that sign. You don't have to do anything right away in terms of what you're going to do with the positive and the negatives. Just understanding what you have, it'll allow you to assess your goals and then orient yourself towards them. Mm -hmm. And one of the most practical tips is to make an obvious schedule. All right. Being that I work in person and also online, that I have to be one, very organized, and two, optimizing my time. And without making a schedule, I'm unable to fulfill my goals and needs without that schedule. So in this case is mark how much time you need to get up in the morning, to go to work, to make sure that you're early and on time for work, then how much time do you need to actually work? Because most of us aren't going to be doing that, those eight hours of work if you're working nine to five super, super, super productive. Like just know that most of us are probably working like an hour or two very productively and then the other one or two hours kind of relaxing and all that kind of stuff. But whatever it may be that you're planning all these things out for your eating, especially now that you're doing more fitness stuff, that you're eating for your goals and fitness, in fitness, that you're training. So setting time away for training during the week and that you're also having time for yourself so you at least de-stress from all the work, the, the training, all the stressors in your life, that all this is, should be planned out so you can maximize your goal, time for your goal. Yeah, there's sort of a psychological phenomenon where just if you write something out and you see it, you're able to now adhere to it because you wrote it out. It seems so simple and almost too good to be true, but it's definitely been true in my life where, well, let's take fitness as an example. If I know at least in the beginning when I started lifting, now it's so ingrained as a habit. But in the beginning, I would write down, these are the days that I'm going and these are the times. And I only had a, I had a very limited time frame going to school and playing soccer. So I only had maybe a two to three hour time frame. I had to write that down to make sure I actually held myself accountable to it. Uh, another example is just, I think you guys should have a schedule across your entire day to make sure that you're not filling the gaps in your time with things that don't add any value to your life. So let's say that I'm working from 8 a.m. and I have uh, maybe client calls or whatnot or training people in person for five hours and then it's somewhere around one or two o'clock and I have until five to do more things. But during that time, I'm playing video games or I'm on my phone, I'm scrolling through YouTube. Instead, if I wrote out something to do during that time, as an example, reading for 30 minutes to an hour, 
doing some other sort of work that contributes to my more overall goal or doing something such as reminding myself to do corrective exercises to fix my shoulder or my hip or something like that. Just writing that in there will make you so much more likely to do it because you're now holding yourself accountable by actually viewing what you need to do for the day. You have it written right there so you can't forget it. And then you feel a little shittier about yourself too if you don't accomplish it because you actually wrote it down. Another tip is to simply change your environment. So an example of this would be to leave water in places you typically are going to walk by if you want to drink it more because that's a great goal to be wanting to drink more water. We recommend that to our clients, at least to the point where you are adequately hydrated. So that's a good tip right there. Another one is leaving your gym bag in the car always. That way you have no excuses to not go to the gym if you're leaving work and your house is 20 minutes away and the gym is 20 minutes in the other direction. Now you could say, hey, my bag is right here. I have to go. It's I'm not losing that extra 20, 30 minutes of preparing myself to go because my gym bag and then also put your clothes, like have a spare set of clothes in that gym bag as well, because then you'll always be able to have that sense of readiness to go and complete your workout. Another one, just another good example is having running shoes by the front door, not in the closet. I know we talk about cardio and all those things, but that's just a good example for actual runners or people who do want to pursue a goal like that more. So you can actually apply this to all different niches or domains of your life, but changing your environment is going to be huge because you want your, um, not only your visual, but your cognitive space to be limited to what your goals are and to not anything extra beyond that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What? Another great thing about this is you can make a habit out of it. So in this case, let's say you want to drink more water, which is one of the biggest ones that we go through with our clients. Oh, a, a great tip is to get a large container of water. So if you normally don't drink a, a gallon, which is like this, apparently the gold standard in the gym life setting. I have a giant gallon <laughs> water bottle, actually. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I, so do I. I have a Batman looking one. Uh, what I would say is to my client, let's start with a half gallon and try yeah. to at least make sure that you go through that in the entire day. So you're going to carry that with you and you're going to fill it to the brim at the beginning of your day. Yeah. And also psychologically, you're more likely to take larger sips because you don't have to keep refilling a tiny water bottle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So instead of going, getting up and keep going to the water fountain, which I mean, I still recommend doing that just because you can get your steps in. In this case, it's more of, I want you to get this, this exact amount of water in, in that day. And then once you get to that goal, you can get to the larger goal of getting to that gallon of water. I'm not saying the gallon's perfect. I'm just saying that in this scenario, I want you, let's say you get to one gallon, you can fill it up twice in a day now. Yeah. And then you get that one gallon. Yep. And conversely, you don't want to clutter your environment with so many different things that pertain to other, other areas that don't relate to your goals whatsoever. So the simple example of just cleaning your room and making it a very clear space, whatever your office space is, don't have 10,000 things in there all over the floor, all over your desk, because then your brain's not going, it's going to have a broader aperture in terms of what it's looking at and thinking about. And you want to be more precise in terms of what your goal is. So I know, for example, my office space and Chris is very similar. It's very minimalist and toned down. And I think that allows us to focus more on our goal and what we're doing, because if we're working on the computer right here, we're, if we're distracted by all other things in the room, our brain's going to start drifting towards that, or we might have thoughts about those other things. Whereas if you're focused in a, on a pinpoint, you're more likely to pursue that one thing. Yeah. Just anything that distracts you, put, try to put that and set that aside completely out of the way. And, and whether it be work, whether it be 
lifting, whether it be anything else that you're trying to pursue, just whatever distracts you the most. And yes, what distracts me is video games. So for me, it's if I'm itching to play that I won't even be in the room at all. So because I, without the equipment that I can't play myself. Yeah, I was actually too addicted to video games. I had to quit altogether. It was like, I'm surprised I didn't need a focus group for it. It was so bad. I was playing probably like six, seven, eight hours a day. And I just didn't do any work. I would, well, at least when I was in school, it would be school and then video games. And that was it. No school work, just having to go to school and then video games. <laughs> so I had to stop altogether because I was so on the most extreme end of one spectrum that I found that one goal is just so much more valuable to me that I had to quit that altogether. I'm not saying to quit your other things um, in, in its entirety, but you have to weigh delayed gratification versus instant gratification. Another good tip is joining a group or a community where the habit is the norm. So for me, Chris is one of my friends. He's my business partner. He lifts. So that's going to hold me accountable because it's going to be really awkward if we have a business for fitness and I'm not lifting and I'm not being healthy. <laughs> my girlfriend lifts. She's more jacked than I am. So it's going to be a little weird if I just let her keep working out and then there I am looking like shit. You know, that's not that's <laughs> weird in terms of power dynamics in a relationship. Uh, so and then on a more larger scale, if you're going there's different groups that you can actually join, whether it's an online space or the Generation Fit community where we have lots of different people that come together in the pursuit of a common goal of being healthier, better providers for their family, achieving their, their best physiques and best versions of themselves in the gym and at home. And that's a great way to get started because when you, I mean, that's why I think part of the rise of group fitness classes are so popular. Not that we necessarily recommend for your best physique going to do like a Zumba class, but there's a reason why people show up to the Zumba classes much more than they show up to do free weights if their given goal is to build a physique. And it's because they have lots of different friends there and they know that all their friends are going to be there. And if they don't go, well, then they're missing out because that's the norm in their group that they chose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, just look at your closest five friends right now and see what, what they're doing, what they are, and see if you, li you like being around them for the reasons of whether they are in this case, whether they're financially where you want to be or that you uh, like just being around them or they, you know, that you appreciate them for being funny. I know a lot of people stay around their friends or group because they have a lot of history, but understand that if they're in this case, we're talking about fitness. So let's just say a lot of your friends do not lift, especially in your top five, that it's gonna be a lot harder for you to navigate and at least navigate, motivate, and also be committed to being fit because yeah. they're not used to you, uh, you know, setting time away for training. They're used to you going out after work and eating and drinking. Now it's you have time, set time for the gym. You have to go and uh, make food for yourself, which takes time, and you have to clean it, and then you have yep. to go to bed on time. Like these are habits that are going to take you a long way, but they also require sacrifice. So without Exactly. A good group of people around you, or whether it be a large group like CrossFit, um, they do a great job of having a great community. Um, we're not saying anything good nor bad. In this case, the good part of that CrossFit here is that 
it builds a great community of people that keeps them committed to keep working out. Exactly. It's more important to get into something and get 80% of the way there in terms of the optimality of your program as opposed to just wanting to do free weights on your own and having no drive to do it and then just quitting because of that. So it, in that case, it would be better to do something like the CrossFit or the Zuma if that's what gets you moving. That's it. So that's not saying anything inherently positive or negative about what it does to achieve your goals. But that being said, you need to uh, prioritize actually moving and orienting yourself towards your goals as opposed to focusing on optimizing every little part and then not being able to adhere to that optimized program. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that made me think of, I heard Jim Carrey say this and other people I'm sure have said it before, but he was in a graduation, he was doing a graduation speech at a university and he said something along the lines of, if you have five friends that are idiots, you're going to be the sixth. If you have five friends that are funny, you're going to be the sixth. If you have five friends that are rich, you're going to be the sixth. So in this case, if you have five really good friends who are in really good shape and are healthy and take care of themselves and their family and are good moral people, you're going to be the sixth. So who you surround yourself with 90% of the time is a reflection of exactly who you are. And that's not doubting your integrity to hold um, to stay true to who you are if you make friends with other people. But typically, if you're friends with other people who have very different values from you, that's usually not the case. It probably means that your values are shifting towards what those friends are mm -hmm. or what those friends have. Yeah, that you're valuing what they value as well, but not because you want them, but you're conforming. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into another tip here. And there's really, really interesting research we were talking about before the podcast started, and you were kind of blown away by this. And I would have never thought this in a million years. It's very specific, almost neuroscience here. But Emily Belsitis and her coworkers found that focusing on a goal line with, so football players essentially focused on a goal line and had to run a certain amount of time. And then the control group didn't focus on a goal line. And the people who focused on the goal line improved their ability to get there more efficiently and quicker. And they had a less of a perceived effort towards that goal just by focusing on more of a finer point in terms of where they were going in the short term, which is very, very interesting. What are your initial thoughts on that? Because that's pretty crazy. Well, and, well, now that you speak more out loud, it's, it actually makes more sense to me because yeah. think of it this way. Uh, the At one point, the the 100 meter dash, 10 seconds to beat was like, saw as was seen as impossible yeah. then it became the like nine seconds and then now you have usain bolt who's i can't even remember the time but it's under not it's like right around that area yeah, it's in something insane um and then in the lifting industry or lifting community that breaking the 1000 pound deadlift was like was considered impossible and once somebody did it can't think on top of my head it was probably one of the world's strongest men yeah i mean at that point the 1000 was probably like a little bit while ago, like 10 years ago or something, right? But then everybody started breaking yeah. it. Well, yeah, because Eddie Hall did the 500 kilogram, which is, I think, what is that, 1,200? 12 and change, yeah. 1,200, yep. And then Half Thor did 501 kilograms to piss him off. So that was <laughs> like 1,203 pounds. And then I think that there's multiple people that have done... 1200 since and that record is going to be break, broken in like a week yeah once yeah it's once once somebody does it and puts their puts their mind to it and now it makes more sense to me is once it's, you said that line is that line that goal line is yeah. drawn and that you want to fight for it that well in this case this is like the top of the top it seems more achievable it's i mean that's why i mean i was talking to a family friend of mine and he's a very avid runner and i said you know what's really weird why is my time so much better when i'm running on a track for let's say a mile or two miles than when i'm running just on the street he said, "You're you're you automatically 
just run better on the track. So I didn't think about that too much. I was like, okay, he said that. But now when I'm thinking about it more, the reason why is because I can envision, okay, I need to run around this four times. Me getting back to this point, which I could see the entirety of my run around the track, I know that that's going to be one-fourth of a mile. So now I just need to do that three more times after that first time. So now I could actually have an exact vision of where I'm going to end up, where that literal finishing line is in this case, and I get there quicker because instead of feeling like, oh, I'm going to give up now because I don't even know where the end is, even if I'm dead and don't think I could run anymore, I'm going to force myself to because I can literally see where I have to be. So I'm like, oh, it's not that bad. It's only right there. And that subconsciously makes me run more. Very interesting. Super interesting. The actual science of this is focusing on a precise point, literally with your eyes, actually makes systolic blood pressure rise and other systems are coordinated with this and you'll release adrenaline as a result. And adrenaline readies your body for action. So this makes us lean far more into our goals. And it relates to how a goal needs to be precise because when your vision has a higher, much wider aperture and you're looking at many more things, your blood systolic blood pressure pressure actually decreases and you're not going to be oriented towards one thing. So that's a good indicator. It's very interesting how they found that your systolic blood pressure increases when you have that sense of adrenaline and readiness towards a goal. And that increases because you're staring at one point. So I learned this from Andrew Huberman. He was the one that referenced the study and he actually recommends for the short term Focusing your vision on one small point, like a little pebble in the corner of a room, maybe 15, 20 feet away or a horizon or something if you're outside. Doing that for 30 to 60 seconds before starting an action that's related to your goal because this places your body into a state of readiness to start pursuing your goals. So this is merely the preparation of starting to prepare your goals, but it's almost a biohack that works really well and relates to the broader message of what we're trying to say about specifying your goals. And so there's this really interesting concept and it's called the delayed discounting. And it says that the further out in time a goal is, the less effective the reward will be in motivating someone to take the actual steps in order to accomplish that goal. So there's a big um, split between, let's say, achieving a 315 pound deadlift when you could only deadlift one plate and taking the actionable steps necessary to achieve that goal. That's probably in part because you have that rational goal, but then emotionally it's like, shit, I'm not even close to this goal. How am I going to achieve that? There was this really interesting study that came out by uh, that Belsides lab as well. I'm probably butchering the name there, but basically they found that people who looked at pictures of themselves 30 to 40 years in the future, they were artificially created these pictures of themselves, they were more likely to invest in retirement savings for themselves than people who just thought about what it would be like to be older and then invest in themselves in the future. So the visual element is super important because they were visualizing what they literally looked like 30, 40 years in advance and then invested more. I mean, that makes sense. Think of it from a practical standpoint is what I value for myself here is uh, I want to be healthy for my kids. Uh, I want to, ha- I want to be there for all their sporting events. Uh, I want to be healthy and vibrant when I'm older and especially when they graduate high school, they graduate college or they get married and they have kids. I want to be able to be moving around able, healthy for them. So me right now is visualizing myself where I'm going to be 30, 40 years from now and hopefully a grandfather uh, by then. 
Grandpa and, Chris. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> with, the, with the, like the mustache and the goatee oh, and yeah. the Yagi. Um, which I do already almost have if I don't shave, by the way. <laughs> which is so bad. I've never seen that. I want to now. It gets so bad. For the next episode. <laughs> no shave November yeah. of next year. <laughs> but I do visualize myself in 34 years being a grandfather and understand that I want to be healthy so I can be with them. So I can be present with them and live and live a life with them exactly and, and when you visualize what you want at that farther end i guess in this case 34 years from now that i want to be able to lift somewhat heavy because i enjoy it uh, but it's also the fact that i want to be able to pick up my kid and th- there's a great video squat university put out recently it was uh, a, a, gr- a grandfather was out in the garage and could pick up a kettlebell and you see him o- oh over, i've seen this oh yeah. it's beautiful it almost made me tear up that it, he was trying to pick up this kettlebell in the garage and it was fairly heavy at the time. And then about two months later that he was able to pick it up completely above his head and put it back down with full control. And at the very end, you see that it was to pick up uh, his granddaughter and put the star on top of the tree. And man, that made me tear up. But that that makes me think, okay, I want to make sure that I am able to do that um, and also do the other things in life with the people that I love and family. And this relates directly into does visualization work? So the literature is pretty clear that visualization of the end goal, like we're talking about now, works in terms of getting the goal pursuit started. But if you continue to only visualize the positive ending, it can actually wane away or actually be counterproductive. So what actually works, there's a much better way that visualization works, and that's by visualizing failure. So in the case Chris said, it would be visualizing what it would be like to not be a healthy grandpa who could play with his grandchildren or play with his kids. To visualize in the guy from the Squat U University video, he would be visualizing what it would be like to not be able to hold his grandchild up to pick up the star, how that would feel for him because that was his big finish line goal so how would that feel if he went to go pick up his granddaughter and he like broke his back trying to do it that would suck um so that's a much greater motivator it actually stimulates your amygdala which is associated with the stimulation of fear and anxiety mm-hmm. and it's a much better motivation it's probably the reason why eddie hall when he did his 500 kilogram deadlift he was trained to visualize his family under a car and if he didn't lift it up they were going to die. That's what he was thinking when he did the deadlift. It's probably why humans can run so much faster when they are being chased by someone. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, so um, that's another fa- finding that was actually um, found in a paper by Belsides Labs, who does a great job with all of this that we've been researching. It, they found that actually there's a doubling of the likelihood one will achieve their goal if they routinely focus on failing the goal that they would like to achieve, a doubling of achieving it. So a lot of the motivational videos on YouTube and all this stuff is like, imagine success, the Bugatti, all these, the Andrew Tate, right? The Bugatti. Oh, but imagine all these things, the the cool watch, the whatever, I don't know. I don't, I'm not influenced by cool things anymore, so I can't think <laughs> of anything, but it's much better to focus on the negative element of that if you can't achieve that how will you feel so in practice if you want to go to the gym for an hour four times per week visualizing the end goal would be visualizing your body how much better it looks how much stronger you are but what you should probably do more consistently is visualizing what will it be like if you don't have your better body if you're not healthier for yourself and your family if you're not able to achieve your goal of deadlifting squatting or benching more weight how will you feel how is that going to be a reflection on you and who you are as a person and what you value? All right. Now that you say that, Jordan Peterson says, write down your goal of who you want to be, 
then write everything you could possibly be to do that. Now, you can be very productive and set the goal on one side. And then the other side, you're going to write down what you can do on a daily basis. All right. This should trigger a visualization of you not achieving your goal, which is a great motivator. All right. So in this case is if I want to lose 30 pounds, then on the other side is I can write down the daily habits that I can do to lose those 30 pounds. In this case, whether it be I can take the staircase instead of taking the elevator about five flights, that's going to increase my step count. Therefore, I'm going to be burning, actively burning more calories in a day. I'm going to drink more water. Well, how am I going to do that? I'm going to bring a half gallon of water uh, into the office today and I'm going to drink it all versus just going to the water fountain and get it, getting three sips every time I go. Um, I'm going to prepare my meal versus going into the cafeteria. Okay, I'm going to do that at lunch every single day. Once you, once you start doing that, boom, you're now having more protein because you are preparing more food. See, all these little things can happen once you set once you set the tone and the goal for yourself that you can actually take all these steps yeah. once you plan it out. And that's all it is, is writing it down makes you visualize what you want to do. And now having the plan on the other side of the piece of paper has you thinking about what you can possibly do, not what somebody else tells you, not what the internet yep. says to do. It's what you yourself can tell yourself to do. And then compare that to all those member at the exercise we recommended before, the negatives with all your daily habits. If you compare that to your daily schedule and all those negatives you have, you're going to be like, holy shit, I'm not even close to all the things I could be doing to be the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to stimulate that fear and be a better motivator. All right. So another big tidbit that I loved was Tim Ferriss. I forgot what he coined this, but I make sure I give him a shout out. He's great. Is that he gives repercussions to your failure. Um, I like to call us the anti-bet, but like I said, he may have a different way of saying this. Now, the premise is have a goal and instead of giving yourself a, a, uh, a celebratory thing or I don't know, what is it called? Like a reward. A I reward, guess. yeah. So instead of giving yourself a reward, that you can give yourself a repercussion if you don't achieve that goal. So obviously make it realistic. You're going to have to because you don't want to fail. But that the repercussion is something that you absolutely abhor or something that you either ethically, morally, financially, absolutely despise or don't ever want you to have yourself. So yes, some of my friends uh, don't ever want to lose like even bet $10. Some of my friends are very passionate about politics um, or some people are absolutely abhorrent against a certain group of thing or that. I'm going to give you the example of that I remember listening <laughs> to. And let's say I have a goal of losing 20 pounds in six months, which is completely achievable, by the way. Yep. Six months is 24 weeks, if not a little bit more. Um, if you're gonna lose a pound a week, that gives you four weeks of give. That is a pretty achievable goal. Now, my repercussion if I don't do that is that I give my friend here, Benji, a hundred dollar check with my name on it to <laughs> the KKK. I entrust in him that he will not do it because he's my friend. And obviously yeah. I am against everything about the KKK. So let's get that on camera here. Yeah. They're going to pull that clip and they're going to use it to cancel us before we can even get famous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that now that is the greatest motivator of all time because I do not want to be a donor of the KKK. So if my name is. Yeah, and I'll send that. I'll send that money. <laughs> yeah. He's going to imagine Just typing kidding. it in and then seeing that I am a donor to the KKK. That is something I am absolutely against. 
morally against. Uh, exactly. So, so you will not do it. So yeah, basically, basically he's thinking of the worst thing possible, possible and then betting against that. that. Yeah. So whatever you're, whatever you are for or against, find that motivate that as motivation to not be the repercussion. So whether it be you losing a hundred dollars. Um, or giving it to Benji so he would donate it under my name yeah. to, to a, an organization I absolutely despise. Imagine if someone hears this the wrong way and they're like, oh, damn, he said to donate money to the KKK. All right. <laughs> yeah, like, this podcast so is great. <laughs> yeah, he's so bad. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got another good tidbit here, and that's to focus on only one or two yearly goals. So you don't want to clutter your either cognitive or visual self with things that are completely unrelated to your goals. That's why we talked about before changing your environment so that you it is consistent with what you were trying to achieve. So don't try and achieve your dream body, be a professional hiker, be a pro fisher, a chef, a singer, a dancer, all in one year. That's just not going to happen. And you're going to get so inundated with all of these different tasks and habits that you need to undergo in order to achieve these goals that you're not going to achieve any of them. So you need to be very specific in terms of what goals you are trying to accomplish and you need to figure out, like we said before, what is valuable to you and then pick the things that are of the utmost value so that you could orient yourself towards those. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and as a coach, uh, one of the biggest things that he will go for uh, in fitness is that it's either a loss of pounds on the scale or is that they have a strength pursuit. And both those things are great things to go for. And as coaches, it's funny that we focus only on well, not only, but primarily on one, getting stronger in the gym, whether, you know, whatever exercises that may be to build your body. And then also it's, we know on the fat loss side, it's more of building great habits. So it's funny that when you focus on those two major things, that those are the biggest rocks that we have to move first. And in those, in those, in that pursuit of fat loss or muscle gain, that once we get those rocks out of the way, that everything else seems to fall in line. So that's why when, when you don't have so many goals all at one time, especially in fitness, that it makes it a lot easier for us to streamline to your 20 pound weight loss goal. Exactly. And that kind of segues into another goal that's, or another tip that's very practical and easy to follow, which is making your goal moderately difficult. So we did touch on that before in terms of following the 85% rule. And then if you'll remember later, we talked about how systolic blood pressure will raise if you focus on a very specific point and, or if you focus on a very specific goal in your mind and that will raise adrenaline, that will release adrenaline and make you more likely to orient yourself in the pursuit of your goals. So what's very interesting is that multiple labs have found that if you set a goal, that's actually way too easy to achieve. So like me just picking up that, or for people listening at home, if I were just to pick up a cup on the corner of the table I'm sitting on right now. This is a very easy goal. So my systolic blood pressure is not going to raise at all. It's just going to stay at baseline or drop below. Um, It's actually the same on the flip side too. If a goal is too difficult, I would have hypothesized that in the temporary, you would have got all amped up like, oh, I'm shooting for the moon. Like this is going to be crazy hard, but I'm going to do it. That doesn't raise your systolic blood pressure actually. It actually brings it to below baseline. It makes you less likely to try and achieve that goal. So that's why you should try and set goals that are moderately difficult that you're like, oh, maybe I could achieve it. Maybe I can't, but I think there's a good chance I can because that's what's actually going to raise that systolic blood pressure. That's what's going to give you a boost in adrenaline. And that's what's going to make you more likely on a day-to-day basis to go in and try and achieve those goals you set for yourself. Thoughts, Chris? That's pretty interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about. But it, it, makes, it makes sense when you, when you really think about it only because when you 
set itself that's too difficult that you once you fail too many times, you're done for. You don't even want to do it anymore. And if you achieve it too easily, then, well, it's... There's no reward. There's literally no reward internally for that besides the fact that you already did it. Okay, so a good example of this is instead of going from eating 50 grams of protein to 200 grams of protein per day, to start small and eating maybe a serving or two per day for an entire week more. So instead of eating 50 grams, trying to eat 70 to 80 grams every single day for a week and then adding more in incrementally through time. Um, another good example is instead of trying to deadlift 500 pounds right away, if you could only deadlift 135, trying to get your way up to two plates or three plates within the year, not 500. So just a very broad example, but I mean, it speaks true to what Chris was saying before. Lots of our clients have very unattainable goals. Make your goals not only very attainable, but measurable and specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you, yeah, yeah. You, you took the examples, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so let's go into understanding dopamine a little bit. Lots of people think that it just has to do with people achieving pleasure or associated with more pleasurable things, but it's actually the neurotransmitter that makes you more motivated to do something. So there's something that's referred to as the dopamine reward prediction error. And basically, it's like if you anticipate something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen, your dopamine actually drops below baseline, which is very negative because you're less motivated to do things now. So a good example is if you're excited to go to a concert and then it gets rained out if it's outdoors or same thing with a sporting event, then your dopamine is going to drop below baseline. So in the context of achieving your long-term goals, this shows that you don't want to focus on the end line nearly as much because if you're anticipating to achieve it, but you don't, then that drop in dopamine can damage your desire completely to keep pursuing. So instead, you should focus on systems, systems over the end line when it comes to long-term goals. And that kind of gets into Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is a great book. And he says, the end goal, you should still have your end goal, but to focus on it less, focus more on the systems into the day-to-day actionable steps. Yeah. So the goal, okay. So in this case for fitness would be that you don't want to be so focused on, in this case, your physique. And the reason why you don't want to be so focused on your physique is because your physique changes day by day. And whether you ate something terrible the day before, like chicken fingers, French fries, something that's inflames your body, makes you bloated. Or that you had too much sodium and for the same reason that you get bloated and look heavier or way heavier that day. But when you focus on the things that you can control, that for the most part, for the most part in the last 100 days that you drank your water, ate your protein, went to the gym, the certain amount of days that you did, once you get those things done and those processes set and that you appreciate and that you focus on those, that you know that you put in, you've put in the work, you put in the effort, that the outcome will come for you. And you're not focusing on just your body that you also put the emphasis on these processes that make you the person that you are today. You are better as a person for it today, not just because, oh, I have a six pack or in this case that you lost 20 pounds and now you can laugh at your sister because your sister said, ha, you can't lose 20 pounds, bro. I mean, yes, that might be a good motivating factor too, but that the fact that you have built better habits, better systems and better processes to now, now motivates you to now get to the next step of you know, benching 225 pounds or whether it be losing that next 10 pounds or maybe getting that six pack that you've always wanted. But just understand that the end goal isn't going to make you happy. It's this, it's the process and the journey of you getting there. Yeah. There's no point of like getting to the top of the mountain, only aiming for that if you don't enjoy the climb, because you could be aiming towards the top and just fall off and die. So you have to enjoy it towards the top. The goal isn't to become a pro bodybuilder when you start going to the gym and eating good. It's to become a regular gym goer and to ingrain it 
as a habit. Try and get better, 1% better every single day as opposed to trying to go from point A to B in 10 seconds. So we're almost finished up here. We've got maybe one last tip, one to two last tips. And one is just you have to have a positive perception of why you are doing what you're doing. So don't go to the gym because someone called you a fat fuck and you just don't want to be fat anymore because that's what society doesn't doesn't find attractive. Don't do it for superficial reasons. Don't do it for other people. Do it for yourself. Find value in what you're doing because you're much less likely to keep orienting yourself and trying to pursue a goal if it's not something that resonates with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Find something that you, when you speak it out loud into existence, that you are happy that you're doing it. And, uh, that makes you a better person. That makes you healthier for a reason that makes that either gives you more energy to do to bring out to life, whether whether it be in this case health and health and wellness, whether it be financial, being being overall better as a person is what is going to make you want to do something that is worthwhile. Exactly. That's where the boost in dopamine comes from is when you reward yourself for doing the things that you wanted to do. And now you can check off your micro goals on a checklist where you say, okay, I did this good. I'm very proud of myself that I did that. Now to the next one, you kind of check it off. So final few tips here to increase dopamine. We have some simple tips because that obviously, like we said, was associated with motivating you to do more things. So cold showers actually increase dopamine by 2.5 times. And that's for quite a sustained amount of time. So there's lots of pertinent literature you guys can look into there. Wim Hof, Andrew Huberman has kind of a whole protocol that he talks about with that. Um, caffeine also increases the total amount of dopamine receptors that just makes the use of dopamine more efficient, any dopamine you have lingering. Um, don't rely on supplements or pharmacology whatsoever, though, because that might increase the dopamine in the interim, but it can make it crash as well. And so you have to use your own positive feedback in order to keep increasing dopamine. That leads us to our last tip, and it's don't compare yourself, your goals, or your progress to others. If you want to be fair with yourself, be better than the person you were before. I know it's very cliche, but it's so true. Look, you, I'm, I'm sure you know somebody close to you or a coworker that is either in the best shape of their lives. They don't do anything for it. They can eat Oreos, cheesecakes, drink all the sodas they want, and they still have a, a six-pack, shoulders, about five feet wide and everything that you ever that you ever wanted without even trying now look don't compare yourself to them compare yourself to where you are now so you have an accurate baseline of what you are now and then what you want to be and then have a, an achievable goal to get yourself to that achievable goal with processes that will work okay do not compare yourself don't do exactly it. success is all relative it's not success if a billionaire's kid makes a million dollars. It's not, but it's successful if someone who grew up in poverty or was homeless makes a billion dollars. So Patrick Beck David, who I'm a big fan of, and he's kind of a mentor as well to me, he compared Muggsy Bogues' NBA career. He was five foot three and played like 13 seasons in the NBA to Shaquille O'Neal's career. Cause he said, Shaquille O'Neal should have been the best player of all time if he had someone like Kobe Bryant's work ethic, given his physique and his frame and his athleticism. So who had more success relatively in their own lives and their own minds, Muggsy Bogues? Shaquille O'Neal, something to think about. And then I want to end everything off on this amazing quote. It's by Ernest Hemingway. Supposedly, it could have been someone else also before that. But he said, there is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. The true nobility is being superior to your former self. So that hits home, guys. Lastly, guys, 
definitely go visit www.thegenerationfit.com. We've got tons of free resources, free videos, information, and blogs, a newsletter as well that will help you keep up to date with your goals and better orient yourself towards them. Have a good one, guys. Have a good one.